Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the Emily Program, where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. Please keep in mind that we may discuss difficult topics, and we ask that you use your own discretion when listening, and that you speak with a therapist as needed. I'm your host, Jillian Lambert. Today, Kesley has joined us to share her story. We'll hear how traits like perfectionism and related feelings of inadequacy impacted her eating disorder, as well as how she has learned to manage these in recovery. She is a young professional working from home. She's a wife, dog mom, and a part-time coach. She is passionate about serving others to become the best versions of themselves and using her journey to help them along the way. We're so excited for this conversation. Thank you so much for being here, Kesley. Uh, thank you for having me. So excited to be able to just unpack some things and, and hopefully unpack it for others. So that's what I'm here for. Fantastic. Well, let's uh, let's dive in. We're, we're, we're really glad to be talking about perfectionism in relation to eating disorders today because we know that there's a, a well-established link between the, the trait of perfectionism and eating disorders. Research tells us, you know, that perfectionism plays a role in the development and the maintenance of eating disorders. And we, we know that the trait can really impact the recovery process as well in, uh, as we're learning more and more sort of how do you focus that trait in a way that's really productive uh, and really keeps you uh, uh, well and, and headed in the right direction. So let's maybe get started by having you tell us uh, how you've been affected by perfectionism. How did that trait manifest before and then during your eating disorder? Yeah, yeah. So I think to really expose a little bit about my past is I was super gifted to be able to be a division one full ride scholarship athlete, you know, and I'm also at that age, you're only 18 or 19 years old. So I, at that age, I understood what that meant, but I didn't understand how that pressure would cause me to show up. And that's where kind of the perfectionism piece came into play. I ran distance. So I did like the mile, half mile and track. And so while you can never be perfect, um, you can always be better than someone else. And I think that that's where, that's ultimately where my perfectionism started to show up. How it played a role in an eating disorder is what you'll see in, in all society is, is there's a definition of, of a trait of a human being. And because of the internet, because of what's available, it's very easy to apply an image of a body and a shape to that definition. So for me, it was distance runner. And what society has defined that by is small and tiny and lean. And so unaware of what was happening for me, I wanted to get faster. I was a larger, but very successful distance runner. And so I thought for me to be better, I would have to become smaller. And so, so ultimately, I started to train more and pull food out of my diet. So eating less, training more, and ultimately to get to that size that I felt like fit the demographic that I needed to earn myself in, which is so backwards, but that's, that's what I felt like I needed to do. Yeah. And I think that's, you're right. I think that we see that there's always a way to get a, an edge as a, as an athlete in particular and sort of pursuit of that. And how does that, how does that manifest? And it, it manifests for different people in different ways, but so yeah. often we see that leanness as an ideal and, and people get sucked into that. What, what kind of um, beliefs or fears would you say were sort of at the root of, of perfectionism for you uh, as, as it played out for you and your experience? 
Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I've recognized, like one of the things I always say is distance brings clarity. Um, so as being someone who's recovered, I've been able to gain some clarity around what the core issue is. And core issues can be broken down into to four different types. For me, it was, I am not enough. It can also show the other three are like, I am not worthy, I'm not valued, or I'm not a burden. So really what I've learned is we're really not all that different um, from each other. We're just one degree of separation and, and whatever that core issue is. So my fear was that if I wasn't successful in my running, then I wouldn't be enough. I wouldn't be enough to my coaches. Um, probably what's more vulnerable and close to home is I wouldn't be enough for my parents. I'm a middle child. And if anyone knows, if anyone can read to the middle child, it's kind of like you need to perform to earn your value, which is completely not true, but that's what I felt. So to kind of repeat that, I felt like my fear was that I wasn't enough. And if I didn't perform beyond expectation that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be loved or valued. So that's kind of what that looked like for me. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that, that you're right. It, it, it comes in sort of different shapes and forms for different people in their own experience, but that concept of, of perfectionism joining with, with, you know, the eating disorder to, to feed us those, those, you know, frankly, those lies of not being enough or not being worthy or not being uh, valued really sort of propel the, like, well, I can fix that, right? I can do something about that. Yeah, totally. And I think the unfortunate piece is that society has really marketed on those noise pieces. So it's really easy to find uh, material out there that's going to affirm the feelings that you feel about yourself, that I'm not enough. I mean, diet culture alone, you know, is is encouraging people to to use them as a device to make them feel valued and loved and worthy when truly we've been put on this planet to take up space and not to become less than. So it's it's so unfortunate that like, you know, I myself have gotten sucked into that, but hopefully someone else can kind of see see what it's worth at the front of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and we also, you know, that the, all of the brain research that's that's coming out is is also sort of shining a light on some people are more susceptible to those messages, which you're right are are so everywhere in our in mm-hmm. our social media and our marketing and, and everywhere, uh, and that one of the traits that goes along with perfectionism often is the sort of high noticing trait where you just see everything. So if there's lots and lots of messages about perfectionism and being a certain way and achieving a certain thing people with that sort of perfectionism trait are more likely to also have the trait to notice it and to think about it and to layer it in and have it all get mixed up in there, uh, which is really tricky. But fortunately, there are, there are ways to challenge those, you know, those thoughts and sort of use those traits for other focus. Um, how were you ultimately able to, uh, to challenge those beliefs? What was helpful for you? So one of the things that like I even do in today is when I'm starting to become fixated on one sort of point of myself for having kind of a little breakdown, it's taking even like setting a five minute timer on my phone and sitting down and like writing out what is literally being said in my mind. I'm, I'm not a really good meditator. I can't sit still without having to do something. I totally admire the people who can but if I can write my thoughts down I start to like literally see so you're moving you're and you're seeing and you're hearing in your head what's happening so you can write like whatever those lies are you start writing those down and I then go back and question like is this truly who I believe I am you know I am not enough or 
I am a failure, whatever's running through my mind. And that's not true. What you recognize, what I recognize through this practice is that let's run with the thing of saying, I'm a failure. Everyone's going to make mistakes and failure is if you, if you use positive self-awareness is a point in which we can make ourselves more human. I think that's where people can really, where connection happens is, is when we express where, what point we made a mistake and how it's propelled us to get to here. And so then you start, that's where if you speak it out, it loses its power. And that's where this X kind of like five minute exercise comes into play is I'm so done with tearing myself down. I'm not the best at the practice, but I'm here to put my lies that I say about myself on paper and remove the power that they have over my life. And it's so powerful. It's only for five minutes. Everyone has five minutes, especially when you're in a downward spiral. And I think and I pray that everyone has a self-awareness to recognize when they're in that and, and to know that it's not going to make you feel better. And I hope that that has some power at the very end. I think I used to believe that if I beat myself up enough, that someone will come and rescue me and that, that then I would become feeling enough. And that's not how it works. You've got to be your own advocate. You really do. Yeah. So well said. So well said. It sounds, I mean, it's, you know, taking that five minutes could get you back an hour of time that you spend getting sucked into those thoughts, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a good investment. It has a, has a great return on the investment of the five minutes right. to help you move through the next couple hours. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, totally. I have such a hard time giving myself like a five minute break sometimes. So if someone struggles with that, I'm here to say like, I'm with you. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't have time for five minutes. I have so many other things to do, right? Right. Yeah. What, uh, what else, what other exercises would you recommend to, to people seeking to challenge those perfectionistic or other sort of negative voices in recovery? I mean, the other piece too, and I think this will hopefully be like a shameless plug is if you don't have a counselor, get one. Having someone who is an unbiased advocate in your life is huge, important. And, and where this plug comes in is I know that the Emily program has resources all around the country to be able to connect you with a counselor and and to discuss how financial aid is available and how to kind of navigate those waters. So I have a counselor that I've worked with for years. I still meet with her once a month. So just to kind of recognize that, you know, you'll always be working with someone for your entire life, hopefully financially able to do that once a month, but get a counselor, reach out to Emily program. I'm assuming that you guys have links in the podcast notes to be able to access that, like literally right here as you're listening. So you can do that. The other piece too, is that I've been blessed to have some friends who are advocates for me that can pull me out. So if journaling is a little bit overwhelming for you for five minutes, like take time, go for a walk outside and call a friend to pull you out of a space and place that isn't healthy. I've just been super blessed and, and know that I only have like two close friends. You don't need 10. I think sometimes people think that to be able to be loved and valued, you need like 10 close friends. Like I really only have two. So um, all you need is a few and really all you need is one. Yeah. Those are two things. Get a counselor. Emily program's a great resource. And then, you know, calling a friend, just the, like, don't spat your stuff everywhere. Spat your, spat your stuff that you're working through in that moment with, with a close friend, you know, no social media. I know it's popular. I know potentially you might feel validated there, but that's not the space and place to do stuff that are literally wounds. So 
those are such great examples. I, I really want to echo that. You know, we, we certainly will have links to, to help with the Emily program and, uh, and resources. And I love the concept of the, the friendships that we, you know, I think sometimes we think, and, and I think perfectionism feeds into that, right? Mm-hmm. You feel like you have to have this array of like the perfect collection of friends and it's, it's, you have to have so many and, and there's some way you should measure that, but really right. it's those really those close, meaningful relationships that take time and investment and, and focus and attention. And, and you, you just can't do that with a huge crowd of people. So really curating those relationships that are supportive to you and not mm-hmm. relying mm-hmm. on the, the likes or the, the validation or the follows uh, on a, from a social media perspective or from a, a, you know, what kind of validation can you get from a broad scale? So I, I love that really investing in, in yourself and in care and how does that, how does that work? Yeah, and I think one thing to mention here is a, is a is to maybe define what a true friend is 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 to that a true friend isn't someone who's going to agree with you in all the things that you do, especially if you're in a, in an unsafe place. Like that's not the friend that you should be calling. How I define a good friend is that they're curious. They're not necessarily going to agree or disagree with you. They're going to ask why. Why do you feel this way? Explain to me. So they and it comes in love, and they might show you what you're doing is truly wrong and in inaccurate, but they come at you with curiosity. So maybe you don't have that friend yet, and and you just need to continue to explore the people who are around your life and show up for them as they show up for you. Absolutely, so well said. So we we know part of recovery, you know, certainly is is, is eliminating eating disorder behaviors and and working on the eating disorder thoughts so that they can get replaced with with positive thoughts and. One of the parts is adding, you know, those positive, more life-giving behaviors. How have you done that? What things have you added in recovery that have helped support you? Oh, this is my hugest thing. So I do do coaching in the CrossFit kind of like high-intensity training space. And lots of people, especially coming in January, they want to say like, I'm going to take out sugar or I am going to um, not have dessert or I whatever. They start taking things out and from someone who comes from an eating disorder background that's a really unsafe place because now you're adding into your life like I can't or I don't or those are all negative connotation words I don't need negativity in my life like it's already easy enough to come by as is so I kind of propose what can you add into your life so for example I'm trying to work on better habits myself so I'm adding in focusing on drinking a little bit more water. So just focusing on those things and what what actually ends up happening is when you add these quality things into your life, the the things that you may have wanted to have focus on, i.e. less sugar, naturally and organically fall off. And that is so much more refreshing knowing that if I take one more step to add something better into my life, that the thing that I'm really fixated on as a perfectionist is going to organically fall away. That I already have the tools in front of me to add something in to become a little bit better. We are so powerful when we choose to continue to lean into doing more and adding, adding, adding things into our life. And adding could be taking 30 minutes in the morning to rest. Rest is also an important purpose. And I want to highlight that as I say more is that you need to set boundaries on what more looks like for you. It's going to be different. And don't compare yourself to someone else who may be doing more than you. Your, your more is, is what you own and you control. 
I love that concept that it is, it's so, it's so easy to compare, right? Well, that person's doing that and this person's doing that. Should I be doing that? That your more is totally yours. Yes. It doesn't, doesn't have, doesn't even make sense to compare it because it's, it's, you're, you're the only one with yours. Yes. So I love that idea of really adding in the things that, that feed you and nurture you and, and help you to feel, you know, the best you, you can be and, and the most peaceful you, you can be without having to follow a whole set of outside rules or somebody else's stuff. God, isn't that the truth? <laughs> like we so yearn for parameters and boundaries and for someone else to define them for us, that there's a whole market out there providing boundaries when truly your own boundaries that you have picked for yourself, whatever that looks like are going to be the most powerful and, and create you to be the most successful comparison is such a thief of, of your own identity. And so when you lean into that and say, oh, do I need to be doing, you know, X thing to be successful like this person, it's starting to steal a piece of yourself. And what we kind of started this question off of is we want to lean into the better version of ourselves, which means adding in the things that we believe are going to make us a better version of ourselves, And it's going to be different. And it's small things like coming from a perfectionist, like I feel I would, my old self, my younger self would say like, I need to add in the biggest thing ever so I can be the best version. No, just small, just real tiny, like another glass of water a day. That's it. That's all I'm trying to do. Yeah, those, those, uh, those attainable goals that we can feel good about accomplishing and not feel like we haven't done enough feels like the, the self-care that you're talking about. And it's, it's true, right? You know, perfectionism is a, is a personality trait. People, you know, have it. That's just how we're wired. It's going to be with you for the span of your life in different forms. And we do, I know, in, in, in treatment and family program and in thinking about how do we focus and improve our treatments and eating disorders overall. But I think it's, you know, it's a good uh, probably life lesson uh, outside of even eating disorders that there are everyday things we can do to keep our personality traits, you know, from keep them in check, maybe help focus right. in ways that are most helpful. And certainly in, you know, these current times we're living in, there's a lot that, that can sort of trigger some of those traits. So what do you do to, to focus your, your traits and sort of use them, use them for the good, sort of how I think about it? Right, exactly. I think one thing to maybe expose in vulnerability is um, this, this pandemic for me has caused, I have been struggling with anxiety, massive. I think a lot of people can relate to that through whatever shape and form. And, and those have, you know, anxiety triggers look different for lots of other people. Mine have been like nausea, extreme exhaustion when I haven't done anything. And so that's been a huge struggle for me here. So I think to recognize that sometimes your journey is going to be, maybe it's not an eating disorder, but it's going to show up someplace else. So I just wanted to expose that and and to level out with people and vulnerability that I'm still working on my perfectionism, how that kind of, how I use it for the better good is one, being honest. Of course, I have some boundaries about the privacy of my life, but I do think that it's important to be real with especially your close circle of friends or of family that are there so that you can raise each other up. I am a firm believer in being authentic about who I am. And I think that when you're authentic and you own your space, like I am Kesley and I struggle with perfectionism and I have in 2020 and part of 2021, I struggle with anxiety. It's like, okay, you've removed the power of, of the perfectionism piece to, to show up However, perfection looks for you. For me, it seems happy, put together a professional, 
my house is perfectly clean. Um, you know, you've got the white picket fence and the perfect life. Well, like newsflash, I don't. Um, and I'm okay with that because I'd rather be, I think one of my tactics is I'd rather own that I'm a work in progress and that I'm growing towards something than being okay struggling and, and putting up a front um, and staying stagnant and not asking for help. If you really want to live a better life, it's not going to be easier. I, I need to highlight that, but it, but by saying that I'm not perfect means that you're progressing forward. And I think that ultimately that feeds my perfectionism heart is that I'm getting better. But to be able to get better, you have to open up and vulnerability to yourself and into maybe your counselor or, or a close friend to move forward. And that's how I've shifted my perfectionism pieces. Okay, so I'm not perfect, but I can progress forward. So perfectionism has changed to progression. Yeah, I love that, that concept of really reframing it. You know, you can harness the perfectionism trait to keep working towards progress, to keep progressing, but it's really using yeah. that energy. It's a powerful trait. It's a powerful trait. So I think it's, um, you're even helping me see that um, I can be thankful for wanting to be better. Like that trait is allowing me to take one step forward day after day. I've now being 30 plus have, have been able to say like my mistakes are going to propel me forward and not hold me back like they have for decades. Absolutely. That's a, it's a beautiful concept. When you think about, you know, a, a lot of people who uh, who listen to this podcast are are struggling. Maybe they're in the early stages of recovery, or maybe they are are have been doing well for a while and now are are struggling with a relapse, or they find themselves frustrated that they just can't can't do whatever it is that they're trying to do. Or maybe they're thinking, oh yeah, that's all fine and well, you know, Kelsey, that's great, but that all worked out for you, but that's never going to work for me. What would you say to people listening about, you know, words of advice or comfort or hope to really help them uh, maybe hear a different message than the one they might be telling themselves? Um, Maybe it's, it's saying that like, I, I get where you're coming from, that potentially my story makes you feel like, great, good for you. Like I'm still stuck in this hole and how can you understand person in a podcast how I feel I want to tell that person like how you feel when you're listening to this podcast like that's normal I've felt that too it makes me emotional knowing that that person's in a hard space and place I really encourage the person who's feeling like that to reach out to a counselor and and unpack that emotion with them and, and share that you heard this story of of someone and it caused a few triggers that made you feel, you know, stuck even more, but you're not, I'm not a professional. So I I think that potentially this is beyond my scope, but I really do hope that that person reaches out and know that there's so many resources for financial aid. Don't let, I think with a lot of times finances, especially for maybe someone who's a perfectionist, find it embarrassing to reach out, but there are resources for you to talk to someone, especially in the pandemic. There's a lot, even more than there were before. So I get it. Um, Even though I don't know them or you don't know me, I get that feeling of kind of feeling as though no one understands how you truly feel. And, and that's a conversation to unpack with a counselor. Absolutely. Yeah. What, uh, what, maybe let's sort of wrap up with a a forward looking question around, you know, what are you looking forward to in 2021 for you? Uh, My 
few favorite sayings, um, and I've said it, sprinkled it a few times, is that in 2021, I am going to work harder to take up space. Especially, I am, I, probably you can tell by my voice on the podcast, but I am a female. I go by she and her, and the society tells me to be smaller, to quiet my voice, but like I have just become so empowered that I have been put on this earth to take up space, to become stronger, not only in my personality and in my mental health, but also in my physical health. I love to lift weights in my garage gym. So my kind of 2021 inspiration is I am Kesley. I am here to take up space and become stronger mentally, physically, and emotionally. And I'm going to take steps to do that. And that is just so, I'm like so excited to see where it will take me. So excited. I have no idea what 2021 is in store. It may be a whole nother repeat of 2020, but I am here to recognize that like, just because the world is a lot different than what it used to be, it's not going to hold me back from taking up space. That's awesome. So well said. Just so well said. Thank you so much. Thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you for sharing your story and sharing your your bold hopes and your your call to take up space. I think that's just so well, so well said. We really appreciate you joining us today. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate being able to be a part of this community and being so welcomed. And hopefully everyone feels that same welcomeness that you're meant to be here. Absolutely. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe, rate, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you'd like to learn more about the Emily Program and what we do, visit emilyprogram.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Emily Program. Piecemeal is produced by Angie Mitchell and Nancy Linden with music by Dan Forkey. Thanks for listening.